Join Scotty and Ian's Friday from 10 to 2 at Valley View Golf Course in Layton for the Mountainland Valley View Pro-Am supporting Primary Children's Hospital. All right, there's a story, and it is long. I am st- I'm almost all the way through it, but not quite. Uh, John Canzano writing uh, OregonLive.com. You can read the whole thing for yourself. We'll tweet out a link to it. We'll put it up on Facebook, uh, but you can Google it and find it. The headline is Canzano amid crisis, Pac-12 signed agreement to fund news coverage from L.A. Times. So on the surface, PK, that is so out of bounds, so wrong. The story goes into the fact that this is not the first time the Times is in this kind of hot water. It goes to another incident that doesn't appear to involve sports, but was back in 1999. It goes into a managing editor who didn't seem to have a problem with the blurring of the lines or a crossing of the lines. Executive editor Norman Perlstein comes out as, uh, as the... Uh, the um, the, the, the problem, basically, in all of this. Um, also declining comment now, uh, a year ago, said, don't let the Pac-12 speak for me. So originally, the, PAC, the Pac-12 wanted more, um, more positive coverage, and so they went to the Times about it and doing a special section or whatever, and Times like, well, there has to be revenue for it, and they were going to steer $100,000 worth of advertising. Not clear to me who was going to buy that advertising or how maybe the Pac-12 would have some sponsors who they'd already signed do it. Uh, that seems like the most logical, but it doesn't really go into who that is. And they were going to do the special section, and then, the and, and that caused, and this will shock you, PK, but word of this got out, and that caused a problem in the newsroom. What? Of course it did. Then they start to cross the line into, well, the Pac-12 will just write the check. And at that point, uh, the Times claims the deal blew up and it ended. Uh, but there were other, under Perlstein, there were other conflicts of interest. Uh, there's been a problem with uh, horses dying at Santa Anita on the track. Multiple horses, more in training than in races, but what does it matter at the track? And so there was a big highfalutin party that apparently was, uh, they're saying it was like a $3,000 value. I don't know what kind of party would have been a $3,000 value, man. That must have been some good eats and, and uh, a ton of booze there. But, uh, and uh, some of the people at the Times went to that and were uncomfortable when they saw what it was. So there's all kinds of, uh, there's more details in here. Like I said, I'm not quite all the way through it yet. Um, you've probably had a chance to read some of it. Your takeaway. Well, I knew about that party, and I knew that's already been written about. Yeah. That's already been out there as far as uh, some time staffers feeling uncomfortable and who was financing that and what was that about. Yeah. The, in the old days, there was a distinction. And, you, you know, I worked for three newspaper, five newspapers in three states, and I rarely, if ever, dealt with any advertising people. You never even saw them. Yeah. Editorial, which is what the news is, is what it's called. It was completely inseparate and had complete and 100% autonomy. Uh, of autonomy. Yes, thank you. Well, everything is blurred now. I don't trust the media. I've been saying that for weeks. I mean, the reality is, DJ, we've got guys that are answering to two masters in our yeah. company. Yeah. Uh, and they're cover, they're being paid to cover the team, and the team is paying them. I mean, that uh, wouldn't have flown thirty years ago. <laughs> no. It would not have flown thirty years ago. My my personal experience is the line was blurring up until the economic meltdown two thousand eight two thousand nine, and at that point, a tank ran into a brick wall that had no reinforcement and was a hundred years old. 
And it turned out money. there was no steel inside the brick wall. Yeah, the tank was getting to the other side to pick up cash. Yeah. yeah. There was literally organizations were trying to figure out how to make sure they remained solvent and didn't have to be sold. And faced with that, that's when, uh, you know, it just became way more of a free-for-all than had ever been. And I didn't work for newspapers. And newspapers have always, man, the, the line is drawn in newspapers. You know, it's, it's black ink. It's clearly visible. It's not a, a pencil line that's been smudged. You know, that's the way it had been. The previous thing, I, I just found it. I, I, there's a lot of info and there's a lot of names in this story. And when you read it, you're going to have to reread stuff if you don't know who the players are and know who the people are. Uh, but the other incident with the L.A. Times where they famously crossed the line was in 1999. It dedicated an entire Sunday magazine issue to the Staples Center. That's the thing that could be done because the Staples Center is new and people are interested in it. It's also the thing that could be done because there's a profit-sharing agreement and there's two million bucks on the line. And it turned out it was the other one, and so that's public embarrassment, forced a public apology from the publisher and raised questions about editorial credibility. And now you go, uh, you know, what, 10, 15 years down the line. No, more than that. Uh, 18, 19 years down the line. And, uh, you know, they're back in the same territory again. Yeah, so I think the public has a great distrust for the media anyway, and this just increases it. <laughs> and, we, and it has nothing to do with the president. I think it was, maybe it has something to do with him. I'm not sticking up for him by any stretch, but I, I think the public has always had a low opinion. Well, it's, it's, even, yeah. it's even more so now. We've got, we've got people, uh, you, they're getting paid to cover these teams, by, and they're getting paid by the team. Uh, that and you could say, well, yeah, but I have one hundred percent autonomy and independence. Okay, you probably do, but nevertheless, that's the situation. Sam Smith, who made his mark uh, covering the Bulls, writes for Bulls dot com. Yep, who's paying that? And there's a thing. There's a, dis, a disclaimer on the website. At least there used to be. I haven't looked at it in a good long while. But you know, he has independence and the ability to, to write and say what he thinks. Great. Okay. Fine. But you're still getting paid by him. So there you go. That never would have happened when I was making my way into business. That's why I get all upset about all these uh, st- all this media stuff that is so slanted. That never was my thing. It's not the way I was brought up in the business. It wasn't. You reported the news, and the news spoke for itself. Now you got to opine on the news, and and that that's the reality of it. It's it, news isn't news anymore. It's entertainment. How do you make a buck? It's entertainment. That's what it's morphed into. Guys like Rush Limbaugh making fifteen, sixteen million dollars a year. And people take his word as if it's gospel. And, and man, he really is uh, this and that. He's an entertainer. And he's, an, he's a millionaire a hundred times over as an entertainer. But so there, there are no lines. Everything is blurred. The news, the news organizations got crushed by the entertainment and the infotainment. And now we see them trying to react, trying to be who they were, but trying to compete in the new environment. And that's not going very well. And even if you're not working for another organization, I'm not working for another organization. But where does my paycheck come from? Yes. Let's be completely transparent here. Yes. I can kill you. I mean, obviously, it's you and Gordon. You are the two guys yes. that we have on our staff who are getting, getting 
paid. You work for another organization, and you're getting paid by the Jazz to cover the Jazz in addition to working in another organization. All right, fine. Let's have complete transparency here. Well, I'm not getting paid. Well, I guess I am by Channel 2 uh, and another one. I'm not sure I'm going to do anymore. But uh, I'm still getting paid by this by this organization. So complete. I'm, I'm no different than you two. I'm right there. I am shoulder to shoulder with both of you Well, in terms of that. As we've seen, uh, and this is another thing that's changed over the course of our careers, uh, we didn't see teams buying up media organizations. And there's two sports talk teams in this, there's two sports talk stations in this town, and the Jazz bought one of them, and the guy who owns RSL bought the other one. And they bought them up. Now, that, that didn't happen 30 years ago, but in the, um, you know, 30 years ago, we didn't see restaurants inside arenas either. But in the uh, bid to control all the peripheral income that gets built around a game, we're seeing people who have the resources to do it, we're seeing them reach out and pull everything in-house. And that's from, uh, you know, tacos you eat before a game to uh, the media to, I mean, clothing. I mean, they're, they're hip-deep in apparel. I mean, well, for a while, for, that for a would while be, they owned a whole be, chain of stores that were outside the state. If uh, you're only hip-deep in apparel... <laughs> That means you're topless. Heyo! <laughs> it's too early to go to break. Normally, that's how we'd end it. But. Shouldn't you be like neck deep? Theoretically, yes. <laughs> that's not the expression. But thanks for being literal, Captain Obvious. So, so the the other part of this story, aside from the uh, you know the view from the LA Times, the other part of the story is that. And Canzano has some stuff on this that the Pac-12 staffers just got appalled at a yeah. couple things. One was yeah. the ham-handedness of all of this. It was clear to some of the staffers that this was going to blow up, just like it was clear to some of the LA Times people who didn't, who weren't the one boss who was really driving it. Uh, well, a, it's horrible, and B, it's not going to work either. It's like the bad lie. You know, am I mad that you're lying to me or am I mad that your lie is so pathetic? You must think I'm stupid. You know, this gotcha. isn't. So they were that there are people in the Pac-12 office who are just like, really sitting there literally. You think you're going to buy the coverage? There were literally people in the Pac-12 office thinking, why don't we just do a better job? And then people will write better stories about us. Sure. And that did. So it's not like the whole Pac-12 office was up in the night on this. And then also, this will shock you not at all, but the story also, a chunk of the story, goes into how expensive some of the consultants were who were brought in and how much time they were spending there giving presentations. And some of them, this happened in both cases, the lower-level people at the Pac-12 and at the Times started doing homework on their bosses. Somebody who worked at the LA Times was told, I... You get paid, I'm paraphrasing now, but you get paid to uh, do stuff for, the, for paper, not to look into my bleep. Yeah, that was said to a reporter. To a reporter. You can't yeah. go to a reporter and think you're going to keep secrets from them. Secrets that will work for the reporter if they're public. This is literally what they do. They find stuff out. They have a knack for it. They know how to do it. And then you're, as in a publisher you're, or an executive editor, you're going to scream at your reporters when they found out the dirt on you? Moron. 
<laughs> not just the person who's doing the getting yeah. screamed at. Usually it happens in front of two, six, ten other people, and word spreads to 20 people. Once upon a time, there was a blow up at Channel 2, and I was off. I was at home. I had no idea anything was going on. And my phone rang so fast. I mean, this is, they find stuff out and they tell people. That's what reporters do, literally. Find it out, tell people. And so the fact that an executive editor was screaming at a reporter in front of people, what an idiot. Holy cow. How did they get to that job? How did they keep it? Holy cow. Holy but on the pack on the Pac-12 end of it, basically, and this this will shock you, it's in the story. One of the consultants they brought in was a friend of the commissioner, and the people in the Pac-12 are digging up. This is probably about a quarter million dollar deal because they called around, you know, comparable, and you can kind of get the ballpark for what it costs. And it's another wow, pain. and you just know there's some low level person who's like, I didn't get a three percent raise because money's tied, but we got a quarter of a million for the commissioners, buddy. You can just, yeah, you can happens. just smell it coming. This is another. It's a bad look for the Times, and it's a bad look for the Pac-12. Yeah, but I mean, the organizations have been trying to influence news coverage forever. forever. There, there was at least three times, at least three times, folks from the University of Utah went down to the Tribune to get me off the University of Utah beat. Yep, I had a one sports editor. She told me that we had a 90-minute meeting, and 45 minutes into the meeting, it dawned on me the purpose of the meeting <laughs> was to get you off the beat because every 15 minutes we'd have the discussion, and then it would keep coming back to you. Uh, get, they wanted me off the beat, and they were, they were trying to use their influence to get me off the, because I was a bad dude, and I was a hard ass, and uh, I covered the big guy like nobody else before. And I don't know about anybody else after whatever. And I wasn't going to be beholden. And I wasn't a U of U fan. They weren't naming press boxes after me. And it wasn't going to happen. And uh, so that's what they were trying to do. Now, they weren't paying them, but they were trying to influence coverage. They thought I was the bad guy. And if we got rid of him, well, then everything would be good. Of course, I, eventually they took me off the beat. And we saw how that ended uh, with the U of U basketball. Well, Problem really wasn't me. <laughs> so, no. And I've had so many people over the years, tell people who wouldn't even speak to me because they hated me so much. But then they saw it. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. then they saw it, and then right. they came around. And that was, so that's been going on forever, really, when you think about it. It's just this is an extreme case where money is being exchanged, and that's what you have here. And so, yeah, that just causes all sorts of red flags. But the bottom line is, how does the public receive it? Well, and the public already doesn't believe it. So I mean, exactly. this is this is exactly. all, this yes. is like the seventh layer of icing, and you can't eat, you can't eat the third layer of icing because it makes you sick to your stomach. Yeah, you know the 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 polls on media credibility have been horrific for I don't know twenty five years. Right, and this is another blow. Yeah, this is. Uh, <laughs> And it ends with uh, the Times ended the deal uh, when they realized basically that it wasn't worth the headaches. Well, they should have never entered the deal, uh, but yeah, I, I get can it. see it at the uh, uh, yeah. when they got through it. They backed it. It's it would be. Not ended it, backed out of it. 
So, uh, according to this, uh, here's here's the paragraph. Some staff at the Times believe the denials from management are wrapped in semantics, that the newspaper backed out of the agreement after Pearlstein, Pearlstein's the, is really the villain of the piece, after Pearlstein realized $100,000 in advertising revenue wasn't worth the headaches it was causing. Does seem awfully low. Yes. I mean, I would would expect in the seven-figure range before you would... uh, Everybody's got a price, I guess. Yeah. But a hundred thousand seems like an awfully low price right. for the hit you're going to take. If you're going to take that big of a hit, it yeah. better be in the millions, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, but it, you know, it starts with the special section, and then it yeah, just yeah, starts yeah. to morph, and the red flags are going up, and the people in the newsroom are like, "What are you doing?" Oh yeah, and newsroom people at their core are some of the most cynical, bitter people you've been around, and I'm proud to say I'm one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Guild officers insist no money changed hands. Yeah, but the mere, mere whiff of it smells so bad that does it really matter hey, at this point? I know we got to go to break. When Anastasi came in, he was a sports editor over at the Watchdog. He instituted a thing where he paid the Jazz, he paid BYU Utah for the pregame meal. Yeah. He wouldn't even let you take the meal unless the Tribune folk paid for it. DJ and PK coming up next. Craig Bowlerjack, TV voice of the Jazz. Stay with us. Ow! Basketball is back. The Zone Sports Network is keeping you up on all the latest news with the Utah Jazz in the NBA. This is a back-to-basketball update. Oh, he never looked at the net! Presented by Zions Bank. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Utah Jazz restart the NBA season today, 4.30 against the New Orleans Pelicans in Orlando. The game's on TNT. You can listen to it at 3.30 with the pregame show here on The Zone and then the tip at 4.30. Pelicans rookie star Zion Williamson will be a game-time decision as to whether he'll play. Clippers and Lakers tip off at 7 o'clock. Also on TNT, Anthony Davis expects to play in tonight's game despite an eye injury suffered in a scrimmage Saturday. Davis will be evaluated before the game after suffering from light sensitivity since being eligible elbowed inadvertently by Michael Carter-Williams. This back-to-basketball update presented by Zions Bank on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. For a bank that understands your business, Zions Bank is for you. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on The Zone Sports Network. David Locke, play-by-play voice of the Utah Jazz. I like Mike Conley. He's had some great stretches. What have you seen from him in these scrimmages? Well, he's quick. He looks assertive. He looks comfortable. He looks great. You know, he's just been a little nipped all season long. He didn't have a health-free offseason, from what he told me, coming into camp. So I think he might have had his health-free offseason just now and coming off the way he had been, you know, careful fully handled by the Jazz during those last two stretches, and he's played those 11 games. That's enough to put you at peak performance. So he might have been at his healthiest point when he came out of this, and that might be why we're seeing him play at this level. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time to talk basketball with Craig Bowlerjack. He joins us on the T-Mobile special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services. Local store availability. Bowler, good morning. Hey, guys. How are you? Good. I was golfing yesterday, and I ran into a Bowlerjack all grown up, and I didn't recognize Brody. (laughs) 
Yeah, he told me that you didn't know who the heck he was. I think it's the, probably his uh, the whiskers, right? It the was beard. exactly what I told him. Yeah. If he remembers, yeah. he said, "Yeah, it's like yeah. wow, I'm 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 looking for babyface Brody." <laughs> He's got the tough guy. Yeah, I got about twelve hours going. I'm a guy's, yeah. I'm a guy's guy. <laughs> uh, no, he he said it was good to see you, and uh, he said his golf game is horrible. But uh, he's trying to he's he's trying to uh, reestablish it. I think is what he told me. I thought that's, that's a pretty grown up word there, bud. I like that. <laughs> nice. All right, enough of the family times. Let's get right to the hoops. The number one question you have about the team going into this game is. Well, uh, making up 20 points uh, from Bojan Bogdanovic and staying, I think, offensively minded, uh, which, again, we saw in the three scrimmages, DJ, where, uh, the, you know, Quinn trying to compensate for Bogey's um, absence is to go four guards at times with Gobert in the post and try to up the tempo. And hopefully some defense, some mismatches will allow them to also score on some turnover transition buckets. So uh, some intriguing thoughts, some intriguing coaching uh, that we saw in the three scrimmages. I didn't think the Jazz were that engaged in the first game against Phoenix, but uh, a little difference, a little different with Miami and Brooklyn. And also, I don't think we'll see the young guys close down a lot of games, right? I mean, that's not going to be the case unless it's on the opposite end. But yeah, I was still impressed that he was able to play a lot of players and, and, and give – you know, me, Aoni, and uh, Justin Wright Foreman, uh, Rajon Tucker, Jarrell Brantley, some minutes uh, during those scrimmages. But, you know, the bulk of those minutes are all going to the top nine guys that we all know. And I, I think the small ball is intriguing. It works in some ways for Houston. Uh, obviously, they found Gobert at the rim. And it seems to me that Donovan Mitchell's looking for the big fella. So maybe that is all behind us. So I thought I would see more offensive opportunities, and by that I mean shots from Royce O'Neal. I did not see that in the three preseason exhibition games. So my guess is that's probably a wrong take that I had, and it looks like it's going to come from three guys that are going to possibly increase their offensive production. That would be Gobert, Conley, and Niang rather than O'Neal. Is that accurate? Yeah, I think you're accurate. You know, if you break down the stats, uh, he took uh, an average of four shots per, which is pretty much uh, what Royce uh, would get in a regular season game. Um, uh, you know, obviously Clarkson is a high-volume shooter, and I think what we saw is what you're going to get. But, yes, uh, George, Joe, uh, Mike, obviously, and, and PK, when you look at, you know, I, I finally got – it was hard to get stats and box scores on those scrimmages from Orlando, but uh, when you finally got the final – uh, tally of the stats in the preseason, or excuse me, in the scrimmage games, Mike Conley led the Jazz in scoring, uh, followed by Gobert and Clarkson. So, uh, yeah, I think I, I think Mike, who only had what four assists in in, the, in those games, uh, also maybe in his own mind now has realized they need him to score, and there's other ball handlers too, meaning Joe and Donovan and Clarkson and Moutier, who was in that four guard rotation. So I, maybe that is not as much of a plan for Mike that he's out there to score, uh, get into the paint and finish, uh, or get into the paint and throw up the floater against bigger opponents and try to take advantage of, of the mismatch and draw the big guy out and, and toss it over the top. So, um, you know, again, saw some interesting things in the scrimmages, but 
those are scrimmages, and tonight it's the Pelicans with D Faves and and still I, I unless you guys have breaking news, I still have not heard that Zion for sure goes. I know he's gone through workouts and some three on threes, but nothing definitive. I'm, I'm sure they're worried about is he in shape, uh, and I can understand that after you know the injury and coming back. Um, did he put on some weight? I don't know, but um, uh, if he can, I'm sure he's going to go tonight. So I'm I'm intrigued because certainly Donovan did have a lot of assists to Rudy. But, you know, the Jazz offense is run to put people in a scramble. It basically turns into a four-on-five, and the open person's supposed to take the shot. Right. So the Jazz – and the Jazz – PK and I were talking about this yesterday, and PK made the point, well, they want Donovan to get Gobert the dunks. Well, yeah, yes, they do, because that's such a high-percentage option. And they were playing lesser teams with lesser talent. And so that worked. And I know Locke has been talking about they – you know, they've tweaked the thing that they've done, and Donovan's running the, the pick-and-roll slower. And the whole slow-mo Joe thing, Joe's not that slow, okay? You don't defend Paul George for a whole playoff series and have success because you're not athletic. You know, you play slow because it actually is letting something happen in the play and putting pressure on the defense. So it's great that all of that worked in the scrimmage, but i got to say I have my doubts. When they play better teams, I think better teams are going to be 100% dedicated to taking away Gobert dunks, and they're going to have more talent to do it. Now maybe with this tweak, the Jazz will still get what they want. And like Jerry Sloan said, you, you pretty much shoot 99.5% on dunks. Once in a while, a guy throws one off the back of the rim. But they're awesome. Right. But teams are going to take that away, and I'm just wondering – how everybody's going to react when that gets taken away. Yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's a great thought. And you're right about you know Donovan playing a little slower. He's picked up a few of uh, Joe Ingles, I think, tricks when you mm-hmm. kind of just slowly dribble and let the defender ride your back, and then you pop the ball on the roll, pick and roll. So, you know, the three ball, they're going to have to be consistent there to make uh, you know defensive defenses be legitimate and play those guys on the perimeter, which they hope will open up some space for Gobert. The thing I've always been concerned about is if you force a ball to Rudy, um, you know, I think Jazz fans have seen that the Jazz get into a system of turnovers, uh, almost a run of three or four on multiple possessions. And so it's, it's, it's like you can't force the issue with Rudy. If that's not there, in my opinion, you know, you got to reset or find another uh, the other option in in, in the offense. Um, but Rudy, in this particular, in the scrimmages, except maybe for game one, which again they just weren't that dedicated to go bear at that time. What he took three shots, and then it turned around in games what two and three at twenty and twenty one, um, and and eighty percent guys in the three scrimmages. That's not going to happen. I mean, he's still a sixty percent guy or even above sixty nine in the regular season. Vasily, he put 10, 10 more percentage points on his inside game, his dunks uh, in the scrimmages, but that's not going to continue. If it does, the Jazz are going to roll um, to a lot of wins in these playoffs. Uh, but um, getting back to your point, I, I still think, again, you just can't force it because the turnovers, then that mm-hmm. equates to some easy transition buckets for the for your opponent on the other end. So, yeah, they're going to have to be careful, but also – uh, be aggressive at the same time. I think the three ball comes into big time play here. Uh, the Jazz, you know, put up what thirty four during the regular season. That may have to really kind of eke up into the low forties uh, to be that competitive, uh, in my opinion. 
So I think Conley's for real, man. I expect him to really, really not only do better than he has uh, since he's been with the Jazz, but equal whatever he's done since he's been in the league. Well, PK, he kind of takes what happened prior to the shutdown on, on March 11. His last 13 games, he averaged nearly 17, and then he knocked down 44% of his three-point shots. Uh, I thought he was engaged. I thought he, uh, you know, he's talked about working with Quinn via Zoom. He's got his own gym in his home. Um, I think that as a professional, you know, he took the challenge I think maybe to prove some of the critics wrong, a look uh, is the restart. We'll see how this really starts to play out in these first eight, you know, seeding games before the playoffs. But um, you have to be hopeful, right? I think also, as I said before, I think he doesn't feel like now maybe he has to run the entire show. He's got Donovan, he's got Joe, uh, you know, uh, he's got Jordan Clarkson. Even Moutier is going to get some minutes, I think, with this new look of the four guard uh, lineup. So. Maybe again, he just becomes more offensive minded. PK, I don't. I, that's kind of what I felt, and what he talked a lot about during the the so far in the bubble, is that he is going to be more of an offensive presence, and he feels much more comfortable and understands now uh, how to play with Donovan and how what what Quinn Snyder needs from him. I just think that defenses are going to do whatever they can to take away the Gobert dunk, and they are not leaving Donovan. And I think that's going to put Conley in a lot of, for lack of better, it's not quite this simple, but it's basically, it's going to turn it into a three-on-three game in the middle of the floor in a lot of possessions. And for a player like Conley, who's ambidextrous and can shoot the three, I gotta think he's gonna light it up, especially because before he had to pass the ball to Bogey. That was the right basketball play. And Bogey's not there to throw it to now. Now that doesn't mean Niang can't hit threes. PK's made that point and he's spot on about it. There's still other guys who can score. I just think that until t- I think the easy adjustments for most teams are take away Donovan and go go bear. And I think Conley's gonna be opened up to have huge games. Yeah, and it forces other players, like you just said, and Mike to hit shots. It also, I think, puts more pressure on Joe, too. He's going to be open. And until he proves otherwise, you know, he's a three-point shooter. We know it. Uh, he had a str- he struggled so far uh, in, in Orlando. I don't expect – he hasn't forgotten how to shoot the three, but he hit two of 11 in those three scrimmages. But I think the ball will come and find him uh, quite often on the rotations on the perimeter. Maybe Mike gives it up to Joe or Joe gives it back to Conley. Conley takes a three or he puts it on the floor and pulls that trigger on that little 10-foot floater. So those are some of the options I've seen, and I expect that we'll see tonight too. So we saw Rudy and Bradley on the floor and Bradley taking threes. Are we going to see that? Wow. How about that? That was one of the the big surprises of of the bubble so far. Uh, I know that uh, Tony – uh, during his time off, has decided to try to become a three-point shooter. Uh, he missed a couple, then he hit one straight away. And it was interesting to see, see the two bigs. I don't know if that was just a a bit of an experiment. Does Quinn use it on one or you know for a, a you know a four-minute span just to kind of give a new look? I don't know. It's going to be you know interesting to see. Um, you know the two bigs. And if you, you know, that's pretty popular, PK, if you can have two guys that are in the seven foot range uh, play at the same time and one can actually have some three point shot ability, then wow, it's, it's another, another feather in your hat offensively. But I got to see more of it. 
and I got to see more consistency from that. But it's still intriguing to to see. And you know, Quinn's a guy that as we call him the mad scientist. He was cooking up something, right? We'll, we'll see. We'll see if he uh, makes it uh, into the uh, the game plan. Uh, you know, over the next eight eight games. So I got one question post game for Quinn, and so that was what I used it on was that very topic, and he gave a long answer. But the bottom line is, I think it's there. I think they're going to play a lot of small ball. Eventually, yeah. if they're if they're just just thumping somebody with small ball, there are some teams that can come a bit come with a big lineup, and Quinn has to have an answer. So I think that's where it'll happen. He's going to use it, but only if he has to for matchups. And he'll, I think, first, if someone comes at him with a big lineup, he'll try to beat it with small ball, force them to make the lineup adjustment, not him. But if he can't do that, then he's got to have a big lineup. So I think we'll, we'll see it. Uh, you know, it, it may be demanded in stretches based on the opposition, but it's definitely not the go to move. And it is definitely a work in progress. Yeah, it is. I think it's a great great way to put it, work in progress. And Tony is uh, is a player who's made, you know, big, big strides in his short career with the Jazz, reshaped his body. I think, you know, he, he's, his uh, jumper that I've seen has some potential. You know, he's, he's finishing better inside. He's stronger than he ever has been. And now for him to be able to take and hit a three, that's something they always wanted D. Faves to do, too, guys, remember. And we'll see Faves tonight, um, you know, with the, with the Pelicans. So um, it's tough to get a stretch big man to go out and knock down threes. And if Tony Bradley can, be, can develop into that, just an, another, another weapon uh, that can come in, you know, as you said, DJ, if it happens and they shut down the small ball and you got to counter with the big, the big lineup, then. Tony's going to you know, play some important minutes and some stretches there. So our community, as we know, has a significant amount of conservative thinking, and a lot of conservative thinking doesn't take kindly to kneeling with the national anthem and all that type of stuff. How much concern do you think the jazz management has? Because it's abundantly clear that these players are going to be doing that. I would expect uh, that they will uh, join the Pelicans tonight uh, to kneel around Black Lives Matter, the, 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 the statement that's on the floor in Orlando. And, you know, you guys, I saw your poll yesterday, DJ, uh, and I, I tell me if I'm wrong. I read through, I think, every one of them. And some are disturbing. Other ones were so supportive. It was, would you, did you guys decide it was a 70-30? I said, I said two-thirds, one-third, but that's basically the same thing. Okay. So 70-30 is kind of the way I counted it yesterday. And you look, uh, it's, it's, it's one of the most divisive uh, topics in our country since day one. And it hasn't changed, and it still is today. And, you know, the, these players are trying to continue to keep the, 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 uh, the topic current uh, PK and I don't know how fans truly will respond. Some said they'll flip the switch and never be a Jazz fan again. Uh, I just hope, from my chair, and I, I've worked with many African American color analysts, and Big T is one of them, and Ron Boone another. And I've got great respect for both those men, and they'll have a a moment to uh, make their statement clear tonight. Uh, but I think basketball still. Is something that you know fans enjoy and want to see, and it's an escape. But you still can't hide from the fact. And my my hope is that 
fans will understand and learn and listen. That's that's what I'm trying to do. Um, that's me. I don't know what other people are trying to do, but that's that's my hope is that you learn and you listen, or listen and learn. Um, so we'll see how it how it goes and how it plays, uh, TK, as you said, in this community. And I hope that they understand and and will dive into the reasons why uh, that this is most likely will occur tonight. Um, it's a complicated emotional subject, uh, but one if you try to understand the history and understand what the true meaning is, then um, maybe we'll all be better for it. But uh, it's most likely going to happen, and and you're going to have to make a decision as a fan where you stand with it one way or the other. So there's certain things that aren't going to change regardless of the personalities, and I think a lot of these things become very Mm personality-driven. And I think of these 15 players were all traded out of town and left as free agents, and 15 new players came in. You know, the racial makeup of the league hasn't changed in 40 years. No, and it won't. Right, exactly. So the racial makeup of the team probably wouldn't, and I think whoever the new guys came in would probably do this. And I think regardless of what any individual jazz management person feels about where the line is or where it should be, they realize this reality if you're going to own an NBA team and you're going to recruit players and free agents and retain draft picks as they, you know, grow and get to free agency, you have to give them a certain freedom to do what they feel and not complain about that. that no, I, so there's this whole, I get in the motion of the moment, everybody's fired up, right? But if you're running the jazz, either as the owner or as one of the higher level executives, I think you realize these other truths and I'm wondering what segment of the fan base, regardless of what they think, realizes that, and does that impact the way they look at this? Yeah. No, I've talked to multiple uh, execs, and I think that your statement's spot on. Um, and, again, they're, they, I think they just hope that the fans will try to understand, reach out, uh, and best time, again, to not react to that particular, what, what the kneeling moment means and why the players are doing it? Like I said, if you if you you know listen and learn, it's uh, it's it's kind of it makes maybe this whole situation just a, a little bit easier. But I know there's a lot of passion to this. But DJ, your point's well taken. If the fans say I'm done with them, the the bottom line is the next group of players that come in will have those same issues and concerns, and so this doesn't go away. This is something that needs to be discussed and and figured out. So you know, I applaud you know Adam Silver to give them the the ability uh, to have their, their 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 moments and their and to speak when they when when it's necessary. I know what people said to you yesterday was they don't want to have politics and sports you know uh, interact. And I think the three of us can can explain and understand this as well as anybody is that. When we all first got into this business, uh, I mean, sports was basically one thing, and that was just, wow, entertainment, show me the highlights, and Jordan flying off the floor and into the rim, and ESPN every night, whether he won or lost, it was just about highlights of high-flying Mike, and before that, it was uh, Dr. J, Julius Irving, uh, the bird, and the magic matchup. And then all of a sudden, I had to introduce myself into some domestic issues uh, in sport, and I had to start using the word, right, DJPK, alleged. And 
you know, that was a very important situation. Drug arrests uh, were, were also part of sports and how that overran into their private lives, into the into just the world of sports. And so it, it's it's a reflection of life and and sports still. We want it to be separate and fun and we want to forget. But in reality, that's not the case right now. And uh, things have changed since I first, uh, you know, put on a microphone. I won't say how long ago, but it's been a, it's been a while. You were so young, I might have confused you with Brody. <laughs> uh, but you know, you guys, right? I mean, PK. I mean, think of the days you had pen in hand. I mean, it, it's it's it was just kind of uh, where you went out, and the guy was all giggly and fun, and yeah, man, we, you know, it was a. Uh, you know, we busted tail, we worked hard, we were on the field, whether it's football, basketball, baseball, whatever it may be. And then some complications of life started to interact with sports. And that's where we have built and where we are today. Yeah, I agree. Bowler, thanks. We appreciate it. All right, guys. Uh, we'll see how it turns out tonight. Make sure you tune in. 4.30. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're brought to you in part by Action Plumbing, Heating, and Electrical. Spring into action now. Mention this ad and receive $33 off any service. Call Action today at 801-833-3333. That's 801-833-3333. All right, PK, we got the question of the day up. What do you expect? The Jazz restart. We got people 8-0, 8 straight wins. Sounds awfully optimistic. 5-3. and three. Can they actually pull that off? Or is that just like the high-end goal we should set from, but we're not sure they're that good? I'm not ruling it out. I get that. that. that I I get that. That's why it's the high bar and the hope, but not the I got to see. I got to see how this – I would have no problem going five and three if Bogdanovich was there. I had zero problem going that – but, but he's not there. So this is a significant development. And so how are they going to react? I believe that they have the talent to uh, compensate to a degree. Not completely, but to a degree. And so I want to see it. And, and I saw some positive signs in these three games. But what do these three games mean? I don't know. If not much. Really mean, I don't know. Maybe they don't. Maybe they mean more, though. Why? Uh, as, far, as far as the Jazz go. I'm talking about the. I'm not talking about the result. I'm not talking about the opponent. I'm talking about the Jazz. Does it mean that Mike Conley says, "Hey, man, I am real. I'm here, and I'm going to do what I can do. Yeah, and I'm going to show." So, so that could mean something. It, it has nothing to do with the opponent and the score of the of the games. It's the way he played, and Niang was firing him up. I thought Niang was a lot more offensively just attitudinally and mentally aggressive. Shots got to go in. I understand that. But aside from that for the second, I thought his play looked like this is it looks like he was told, "Son, you have to do this." It was like a mindset. Yes. And if that continues, well, then I can see some replacement for Bogdanovich. Niang, is it is it four guys? Conley, Clarkson, Niang, but it's Royce too, or it's Joe. Now it's like five guys, so it's literally everybody. But I didn't see much difference from Clarkson, O'Neal, and Joe. DJ and PK, it's ninety-seven five at twelve eighty the zone.